0: Superlek versus Takeru is just a few days away. This is 1 versus K1. Muay Thai versus kickboxing. It is a generationally monumental fight. Welcome to Kick Weekly with Tim Wheaton, the kickboxing podcast. Folks, this week we're going to be breaking down 1165. We're going to be talking about RWS Muay Thai, WLF. We're also going to be talking about the collaboration of different kickboxing organizations and reflect on the 2023 kickboxing awards from different organizations. Let's not bury the lead. Let's talk about the fight that everyone wants to talk about. The main event of one one six, five. So, Rod Tang dropped out of the fight with Takero due to a hand injury. Instead, headlining in Tokyo will be the one kickboxing world champion, fresh off of his victory against Rod Tang, Superlek. The Kicking Machine. He will take on Takeru Sagawa. Takeru is one of the best kickboxers of this generation. In a nine-year span, he won over 30 matches, most of them by knockout. He collected three world titles and defended each one of these. He won three K1 Grand Prix as well. Takeru is feared for his aggression, his punching style, and he is always aiming for the knockout. Also, Takeru is a thoroughly proud K-1 fighter. He started his martial arts journey when he saw Andy Hug on TV when he was just a child. Then and there, seeing Andy Hug on TV, he knew he wanted to be a kickboxer and a K-1 champion. He chased his goal and he accomplished his life's dream. And he, he really does proudly wave that K-1 flag. For a time, he was one of the top pound-for-pound kickboxers in the sport. And then he had the mega fight, the match against Tenshin Nasakawa. He lost. This was a Cold War rivalry. One champion in Rise, one champion in K1, and they could never meet. And then finally they did, and it was a mega event. But tension came out on top. But after that, Takeru uh, relinquished his titles. It was kind of like, I, I'm not the best. I don't deserve these titles. So he relinquished his titles and took his name on the road. In collaboration with Abima TV, Uh, Takeru and Abima went and worked with other organizations and co-promoted with them. So one was MTGP, and that's where he won an ISCA title via Headkick in Paris. Now he's competing in one championship and looking to take the kickboxing world title in that organization as well when he faces Superlek, and it won't be an easy fight at all. Superlek is a Muay Thai striker who has long been one of the top pound-for-pound fighters in the sport. He began his Muay Thai career when he was only eight years old. Since then, he has earned titles in every single organization he has competed in. This includes the WBC Lumpini Stadium, True for You, and and tons of others. Oh, and plus his kickboxing title in in one championship as well. Along the way, he's racked up over 130 victories in the sport, with notable wins over fighters like Rod Tang, Muang Thai, Panpayak, Superball, and and others. And most of those were just in the last couple of years. Both of each of Takeru and Superlek have experience in both kickboxing and Muay Thai. But as Takeru is the kickboxer and Superlek holds the kickboxing title, this match was agreed upon to be under kickboxing rules. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to the one one six five main event. And I honestly, I can see either man winning just because uh, what each and this is mainly because what each gentleman does well is the other person's weakness and both of them have shown vulnerabilities to what the other person does well. So let's break it down a little bit further. So yesterday I uploaded a video essay, and this was a breakdown of each man's style and story. It was a very good video, so make sure to check that out. But I'll go into depth a little bit more here, and it's hard to pick. It's a really tough one because I can see it going either way. So Takeru's game is he's trying to close the distance and swarm with flurries of punches. He's trying to land his hard right hand to knock people out. He closes the distance just by walking people down, or he walks in when they kick, or he fakes his lead kick so that he can step in. Notably, he also, like, he doesn't really check kicks all that much. He just lets them land. For body kicks, he always reaches and catches the kick so that he can sweep it and then step in. With any of those techniques, whether he's catching a body kick, he's he's walking in, or he's not checking leg kicks, you can see it being entirely feasible that Superlek chews him up with his machine gun-like kicks, right? combining leg kicks to body kicks and then he blocks the wrong side or something like that and just gets caught by a kick. I can absolutely see that happen. Superlek is is a kick machine. The cute Mukau gym has a slightly unique style of kicking where they turn a bit more the hips over even more it gets this this kick gets more torque on it generates more power but you really commit the hips when you step into it he also has like a really impressive speed for this full kick being able to land it in combination he can just throw it one after the other even back foot going forward whatever it might be And, and and it's not just his kicks overall he's very good he's got good punches he's got great elbows great knees and he's great in the clinch as well against heavy punchers as we've seen in muay thai when he fought people like mung thai and Rod Tang, he shuts them down by using the clinch. So they're coming at him, they're throwing punches, he'll just throw a clinch onto them. And then he, from there, he lands elbows and knees. In kickboxing, the clinch is taken away from him. Now, I, I know that's like, that is the rule, but you can still grab their head until the referee breaks it up. So you can still shut someone down until the referee steps in. So in kickboxing against heavy punchers, he tries to kick them in the head so that they raise their guard and their hands will be glued to their head because they have to protect their head or they'll get knocked out. And if their hands are blocking kicks, they're not punching. Someone like Daniel Williams just timed it wrong and got kicked in the head because of it. Now, normally, Superlek likes to be on the front foot going forward because it's easier to kick going forward. While going backwards, he is still dangerous when kicking, just just less so. But he can do both. But what gives me pause, and you can really see either gentleman having an advantage, in kickboxing against Daniel Puertes, Puertes was able to control the center constantly push Superlek back. He often had his back against the cage. Daniel stepped in during his kicks to land punches, and that largely worked. Elias Anahashi did something similar. He wasn't controlling the center, but he was punching when Superlek was kicking and still had a lot of success doing that. In fact, Elias Anahashi won the fight. Uh, Daniel Portes had a very close fight against him, but showed like if someone else follows his game plan, there could be a path to success there. Someone like Takeru maybe could use that same strategy, controlling the center, constantly pushing his back, constantly keeping him busy with different punches, whenever he kicks, throwing punches, Um, and especially in the ring where Takeru likes to push people back into the corner and then land punches from there. So Takeru might just constantly be pushing Superlek back, stepping in on kicks, and cornering. It's entirely possible that Takeru just walks him down and overwhelms him with punches. He keeps Superlek in the corner and won't let him out. But Superlek still kicks with fury, even when he's on the back foot, and he could easily catch him at any point, stepping in. He could fake a body kick and kick him in the head. He could, you know, fake a leg kick and kick him in the head. Whenever he's coming into punch, he's going to be vulnerable to that kick. Even with the leg kicks, Superlek might just kick the base out from under him, and Tekkeru won't have a leg to stand on by the fifth round. Literally any of those things could happen. Like, Superlek could just land a kick, Tekkeru could land some punches, Takeru can land 100 kicks and control the match. Super like, you know, there's, there's a ton of different ways that this match can go. You know, each man's strength really plays into the other person's weakness. There are two highly skilled fighters who are dangerous at what the other person struggles with. Both fighters have shown that they can overcome those weaknesses, of course. However, just looking at how they square up and the weird nature of fighting, the winner in this fight could come down to initiative or it could just come down to luck. Honestly, with the way that these two styles clash and how much power we're throwing back, you might have Superlek and Takeru fight 10 times, and every fight you'll get a different result just because of the way fighting is. So genuinely, I'm not entirely sure who's going to win this fight because it's such a really fun style clash, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I'm going to be watching live one one six five on pay-per-view. Uh, let's break down a few of the other matches on that card. But folks, I want to hear from you. Let me know how you see the match going down. Uh, you know, what things will be a factor, what things won't be a factor. And uh, yeah, I'll be back next week uh, after the fight to break it down. But I'm really looking forward to watching it live. Co main event Cade Ruotolo versus Tommy for submission grappling title. Shinya Aoki versus Sage Northcutt. Shinya's going to the glue factory. <laughs> Yoshihira Akiyama and Niki Holskin are going to have a mixed rules bout. So it's going to be a boxing round, Muay Thai round, and then an MMA round. You got to think the former glory world champion Niki Holskin knocks him on the first few rounds. Akiyama was never just an amazing striker. He was a tough striker. Sorry, he, he was very head tough as that he could survive a lot of punches, but really his game was, was top position control. Marat Gregorian and Siddichai will fight. I think this is the sixth time they've fought. Both are former Glory World champions. Siddichai is also a Muay Thai champion. Marat Gregorian is also a K1 champion, so both are well-decorated strikers. I believe Siddichai won the first four fights. When they squared off. And then Marat Gregorian has won the most recent one. Might just be a battle of age, in all honesty, whereas Siddishai has a ton of experience. He has kept very busy, and that's really impressive. Maybe he's lost a step, and Marat just gets the advantage, but yeah, it should be a really good fight. Really looking forward to that one overall. Gary Tonin versus Martin Nguyen. That's a banger. Really looking forward to that one. Itsuki Harada versus Ayaka Mayura. That's a good fight. The women's atomweight division in one is, is very good. Uh, and then some MMA fights. And Rod Opacic versus Araj. Azapur? Great fight. That is such a good one. That is a heavyweight kickboxing bout. Really looking forward to that one. It's going to be a banger. I'm expecting a big knockout in that one. Probably Opacic gets it done. But yeah, 165 is really good. Really looking forward to Superlek versus Takeru. Uh, I do like... I mean, Rod Tang, you certainly get a little bit more push, as he is the promotional darling, and that's really good. You can see, even on any analytics, if you have that stuff online, that Rod Tang still gets more clicks. Even in the video of Superlek versus Takeru, one of the terms that constantly led people to the video was Rod Tang. People are constantly looking up Rod Tang. So that fight certainly brings in a little bit more weight. But now, there's a title on the line. The kickboxing world champion is looking to defend his crown against another kickboxing world champion. I think this is a really good fight. It's a clash of styles. It's a clash of organizations. Uh, This is one of those fights that we're going to be talking about for quite a while. I hope that we don't get some weird ending, like an ankle injury or, you know, know, something just weird happens. Someone dislocates their shoulder and can't continue or whatever it might be. I want a good, clean fight. Folks, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we have some more kickboxing stuff like Wu Lin Fang, RWS Muay Thai. Going to be talking about collaborations through different organizations, K1 Max, and a ton of other stuff. Thank you for listening to the calf kick sports network make sure to check out more interviews highlights and podcasts on the interview channels additionally make sure to check out calf kick sports on instagram links for all of these will be down below now back to the show Okay, let's take a look at Wu Lin Fang, who is also having a kickboxing event this weekend. This is going to be WLF 2024 12th Global Kung Fu Festival. That's coming up on January 27th. So they announced a ton of fights, including fighters who are under contract with other organizations. So I think most of these fights are going forward, but it's a mix of fighters who will compete in WLF, K1, Glory, and One Championship. So I, I'm just going to take what is going on as fact until until it happens. But yeah, what if these fights might fall out, then I wouldn't be overall surprised. The main event will see Zhao Xiangcheng take on Daniel Puertes. We were just talking about Daniel Puertes fighting Superleck a minute ago for the kickboxing title. Uh, Zhao Xiangcheng is a two-time tournament second place person and a former infusion champion. Daniel Puertes is a highly skilled kickboxer just coming off of his loss to Superleck. So that should be a very fun fight. The Wulin Fang two time champion, Hirotaka Asahisa, will take on Wei Woyang. Yang Fang will take on David Kiria. That's a really good fight. 155 pounds for that one. So, Yang Fang just won the K1 welterweight title against Hiromi Wajima. That was a really good fight, really good showing. He is also a two time WLF champion. David Kiria is a former glory champion. He's also competed in one championship. So yeah, it should be a really good fight. Really looking forward to that one. I think, I mean, Uyong Feng certainly gets it done. He's an incredibly talented fighter. Dabakiria maybe is on the other side of his career. But yeah, really good fight. David Mahia will take on G Okoi. So David Mejia was a one time contender in glory and had a very good fight against Petch. He's also defeated Jia Akoi before. And now Jia Okoi is coming back, trying to avenge that loss. Uh Jia is also a champion in WLF. Zhang Lan Pai will take on Petchdam. Petchdam, of course, is just a staple of Muay Thai. He's fought everybody in every weight class. He's He's been around forever. He's fought in one championship. Raja stadium. He's fought people like Rod Tang and Run Kit. Tons of other other people here and there. Uh, Zhang Lanpai is a former champion. Uh, he's coming off one victory, but yeah, should be a really fun fight there. You also have Lu C-Fighting, who just won the K1 Openweight Grand Prix. Now he's coming back to WLF. I think he won five fights last year, all by way of knockout in the first or second round. Just awesome stuff. He's going to be taking on the Romanian Sebastian Lutanich. So yeah, it's going to be a really fun fight card. If all of those fights are, if all of those fights go down, it's going to be a really good fight card. It's a mix of China versus Glory or China versus K1 or China versus One Championship. It's just a really fun fight card. You got a mix of champions and former champions showing up. And I think with WLF, I forget exactly, I think it's through Do Yun, the same company who owns Snapchat. I think that you can stream it for free on there, and you you don't need a VPN or anything like that, but it can be a little bit difficult to find. You can watch it live, but catching it on tape delay can be pretty challenging. But you I mean we'll get the highlights on Twitter and stuff like that. So two fighters here, Oo Young Fang and Lucy, are kind of in between K1 and WLF, and that's because they collaborate with and they pass fighters back and forth. So Young Feng and Lucy are, are champions in K1 and are former champions or current champions in WLF. So now we're seeing a lot more kickboxing organizations working with one another like within the last two weeks almost every kickboxing organization was in the news somewhere talking about working with other people so glory and rise worked together in the past they just announced they're going to be working together for most of the lower weight classes having a grand prix later this year love to see it rise and k1 are going to be working they've Rise and K1, of course, they've worked together in the past. They're going to be working together more going forward. They're going to have an event part of Rise Eldorado, which is going to have a bunch of fights for that are K1 versus Rise. Really looking forward to that one. WLF and K1 constantly share fighters back and forth, and that's great to see. One apparently phoned up K1 and they were going to share some fighters, but things didn't work out that way. So you have Glory and Rise, Rise and K1, WLF and K1, and then kind of one and K1 at the same time. So it's great to see that all these kickboxing organizations are working together. And I think one of the reasons that they are willing to do that, because kickboxing is a very niche, struggling sport. There's no reason to be so segmented, especially when you're not really directly competing with one another. Like, you have to think, like, Glory has Europe locked up. They don't have any competition in mainland. K1 and Rise are doing huge things in Japan, so they either compete against one another, or they can collaborate with one another and try to grow the sport into a mainstream And K1 just rehired some of the founders of K1. So you can see they're making a lot of moves here. WLF really only broadcasts in China. So they're not competition to any of those organizations that are going on. So them working together, it's, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. And from sponsorships to TV deals, none of these organizations directly compete with one another. And their fighters want to stay active and their fighters want to make paychecks. So you might as well share fighters and try to keep them as active as possible. I love to see it. We're going to have Rise Champions versus K1 Champions. We have Glory Champions against Rise Champions. We have WLF Champions versus K1 Champions. The next few months are going to be really interesting. So, as I was mentioning with Rise Eldorado, they're going to have a bunch of K1 versus a bunch of Rise Fighters. That's going to continue onto the K1 Max event just after that. So, we have Rise Eldorado on March 17th, and we also have K1 World Max on March 20th. And both of these events are going to feature Rise versus K1 Fighters. So, let's talk about the K1 Max there. That is happening on March 20th. K1 Max was the old name for the lower weight class fighters that happened in K1 that you saw absolute legends like Buakau and other people like this get their fame. Originally, this was poised to be an eight-man tournament and the return of K1 Max. Now they're going to be growing it to a 16-man tournament because so many people want to participate. And that might be other organizations. There was Maroc Gregorian from one was rumored. Wu Fang will be in it. David Curia might be in it. Hiromi Wajima, of course, is most likely in it. People like Akihiro Kaneko and Mazuhiko Suzuki, Leona Patas, these are rumored to be in it as well. So it's going to be a really fun, really big event. I expect it to be WLF, K1, and Rise, all contributing fighters to this. So that event is going down on March 20th for 16 men, and then the finals for that will be a one-night tournament with eight men, and that's happening in July, I believe. But I'll keep you up to date as that story develops. Speaking of Rise Eldorado, which is happening on March 20th, the main event will be Shiro versus Toki Tomorrow. This is a really good fight, and they just kind of missed each other in the tournament last year. So this will be the headlining event, uh, and this will be a Rise champion versus a Rise champion. Tomorrow, he holds the flyweight and super flyweight title. He'll be going up in weight to challenge Shiro for the bantamweight crown. Shiro is a Muay Thai-based fighter who was able to earn titles in ranks at stadium, and then he transitioned to kickboxing. Toki Tomorrow won the Combat Press 2023 Kickboxing Fighter of the Year Award with his six-fight win streak. Additionally, Toki Tomorrow, with those skills, were able to earn a spot on the pound-for-pound pound rankings. So champion versus champion going down on Rise Eldorado. Toki Tomorrow going up in weight, but you're also going to see a ton of Rise versus K1 fighters. That's March 17th. March 20th will be K1 max, more Rise versus K1 fighters. Awesome, awesome. What a, what a time to be into kickboxing, all right? This is going to be a ton of fun. Let's do a quick preview for the RWS that is going down this weekend live from Raja Damner Stadium. This is going to be on January 27th. The main event will be a rematch with the Raja Damner Stadium welterweight title on the line. Hercules is looking to defend his crown against Turkey's Erdem Dinser. Hercules is just incredible, incredible, such a talented fighter. He just is coming off a win against Erdem Dinser for the welterweight crown, but it was a split close decision. So they they rematch. So now they're going to rematch just to settle because it was such a close fight. Tons of other good fights on the card. Like Starboy is a fighting. You have prom Rob, you have Sornka taking on the author Victor Hugo, Victor Hugo, of course, best known for his work, like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, it's cool that he's a Muay Thai fighter from Brazil. Now um, I guess he wrote Les Mis and thought now it's time for Muay Thai, but yeah, Victor Hugo, really good video on him from uh, Lindsay Ellis. And she was talking about how he was essentially just contracted by Notre Dame to write a story about the building because the the building was not popular. It wasn't like a tourist site. It wasn't an important building for French culture. And they thought, how do we raise, you know, the, 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 the status of the building here? So why don't we hire a famous author to write a book about us? So he wrote, he was hired by them and wrote Hunchback of Notre Dame essentially as an ad campaign for the building Notre Dame. And it worked out really, really well. Uh, it's a now a very famous building. It's considered a cultural touchstone of France and Paris and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, he was paid to write the book about the building and it worked out really well. And he, he may have never even visited the building in his entire life. But yeah, if, uh, uh, so I can segue back into kickboxing. Of like If anyone wants to pay me to write about a building or anything stupid, pff, I'm right here. I'm ready to write. Written during a time of cultural upheaval, the novel champion's historic preservation, Hugo solidified the Notre Dame as a national icon, arguing for the preservation of Gothic architecture as an element of Paris's cultural heritage. See, I didn't just make it up. He, he wrote it as, as something to, uh, to, to, he wrote it as an argument to convince people that this was an important building and it was a good faith argument. Legend has it that Hugo locked himself in his room, getting rid of his clothing to write the novel on time, the idea being that he couldn't go outside without clothes. I've never had to take my clothes off to finish anything. I just, that's how good of a writer I am, and you should hire me to write about your buildings. I will keep my clothes on the entire time I write it, unless unless you want the clothes off. I can write a book naked, too. I don't mind that one bit. What were we talking about? See so yeah, RWS should be quite good. Uh, Victor Hugo is fighting. But yeah, the, the main event is very good. Hercules versus Erdem Dincer, It's a really fun, good fight at welterweight. That's going to be a banger. Okay, now let's get to the juicy drama. We're going to be comparing awards from Beyond Kick and Combat Press for the world of kickboxing in 2023. Now, I do work with both organizations, so there, there, there's no bias. I work with both of these people. But I also, just going to caution you now, I'm not going to reveal anything it's insider knowledge, or it reveal anything that goes on behind the curtains about how these awards were structured. But now we're comparing Beyond Kick and Combat Press awards side by side, and this is due to requests from the listeners. Event of the year, we both agreed that the Rise World Series 2023 final round deserved that. It was just full of upsets, title matches, tournament finals, and knockouts. From, from up and down the card, it was just an awesome, awesome event. Every fight brought some meaning, some story, something dramatic happening. It, it, just, it was such a hyped-up event, and then it paid off in the end. And yeah, we all agree that that was the best event of the year by far. Knockout of the year, we both agreed, was Shingiz Alazov stopping Superbon. And the reason being, like, the way that awards work, or one way to think about awards and rankings for that matter, is that this is a snapshot in time that, this is a, a snapshot in time that defines what happened. So when you look back in years forward, you can look back at 2023 and get a good idea of what was important that year based on the knockouts or based on whatever one, based on the male fighter of the year or whatever it was. It's not necessarily what was the flashiest or what was the coolest knockout. It was what was the most impactful and important knockout in this year, that told the story of kickboxing in 2023, and for that, by that idea, there is not a bigger knockout than Shingiz Alazov stopping Subervan. We're talking about two people who are vying for a position on the all-time list, and Shingiz Alazov had a very, very impressive fight for fight of the year. Beyond kickboxing, selected Akihiro Kaneko versus Masashi Kimura. This is the third time that they've clashed in K1. Combat Press picked Toki Tamura versus Kazuki Osaki. Really different fights here. And uh, I mean, I wrote both articles, so uh, it really depends what you're looking for. And again, your fight of the year can't just be what was the best brawl or what was the best banger fight. It has to be a fight that also told the story for what was impactful of the year. So we know Akihiro Akihiro Kaneko versus Masashi Kimura was a very important fight for the overall picture of kickboxing in this year. Both men were at the top of their game fighting for the third time. This was a very important fight. But if you're just looking at punches for punches, I mean, the Yaman versus Hiroto Yamaguchi may have been a better fight, more entertaining fight. Chan Young Lee versus Hioma Hitachi, of course, just an absolute banger. This was such a good fight. You had Koki Osaki versus Mazuhiko Suzuki, just a, oh my God, a banger, banger fight. And of course, the, the, the busiest fight of the year was Akhmed Chikmusa versus Burujan Praboshi. Over, over 500 strikes were thrown in just nine minutes. That's absolutely insane. And those fights were absolutely incredible. But it's about defining... What happened and what was important this year? So these two men at the top of their game, being Akira Kaneko versus Masashi Kimura, is a completely fair pick by that standard. Now I picked Kazuki Osaki versus Toki Tomorrow, uh, and Toki Tomorrow just won the fight and it was a close because I like the story so much of Toki fighting someone that he's lost to before. And he he didn't do well in this fight until he had to change strategy. You had to change strategies throughout the fight to get the win, uh, and the fight itself just came down to a couple strikes on the scorecard and could have been scored either way, but you know, these two guys could fight a few times and you get really fun and interesting results, but it was two experts and it was a technical masterclass between these two men in kickboxing. And that's why I picked it on combat press, but Akihiro Kaneko versus Masashi Kimura. Absolutely fair. That's a great fight. Um, but yeah, again, I wrote both both articles. So whatever. female fighter of the year beyond kickboxing picked Antonia Graffiti and, uh, Combat Press picked Arena Kobayashi. So Antonia from Greece, she had a really, really good year. She had a couple of good wins, but ultimately her defeating Kana Silverwolf in such impressive fashion sealed it for the people at Beyond Kickboxing. And yeah, that's that's just an incredible, awesome win. And it wasn't particularly a close fight. It looked like two people who weren't even competing in the same division. Kana was constantly swinging at air and Antonia was landing kicks and punches. I picked Arena Kobayashi because she beat pretty much everybody in that weight division in particularly not close fights. Like she beat the champion, she beat a champion from shootboxing, and these fights weren't really close. She just looked like she was head and shoulders above everyone in that division. So it's almost the contrast of, you know, what was one very good win versus three quite good wins. And part of the reason that I picked Arena Kobayashi was because of how good she looked in those fights. It wasn't just the names on her record. But going back to the philosophy of what defined this year in terms of female fighters, looking back over time, I would still argue that Arena is the right pick for that. But again, I'm not sure that everyone watched her fight, and I'm quite sure that everyone watched Kana Silverwolf lose, because Kana has been such a lock in kickboxing, a staple of kickboxing for years. Her losing, especially in such dominant fashion, is quite a moment in the sport. So you could really argue either way, and I'm okay with that as well. Uh, Miyu Sugawara like would have been a fine pick. I really don't mind that at all. Some people said Gija because she was able to defeat Anissa Meixin in kickboxing, and then has a bunch of Muay Thai victories. I mean, this is the kickboxing fight of the year award, so I would argue one win in kickboxing. Even even if it is as good as Anissa Mexin. Personally, I would argue that that doesn't say a ton, but Fetjija did get my Female Fighter of the Year award for Muay Thai with how many cool wins she had in that sport. So, really, any of the picks that people wanted to list out are absolutely appropriate. Now, for Male Fighter of the Year, Beyond Kickboxing picked Shingiz Alazov and Combat Press picked Toki Tomorrow. So, Toki Tomorrow got a bunch of wins this year, five wins this year. He wasn't even the favorite to win the tournament he participated in. He had to qualify to get into the tournament, and then he won the tournament. It was against some fighters that he's already lost against. They were against top pound-for-pound fighters like Kazuki Osaki and others. It was a really impressive tournament. He had to adjust tactics in the fights. He had to adjust tactics in the fights, and he's he's such a young man that he was the he was likely to lose the tournament just because he was such a good name on other people's records. He was a good name for quality fighters to build their name off of by defeating him. Most people weren't expecting him to win the entire tournament, and then he just had an incredible, incredible year, impressive wins, and then in the final he won very dominantly in a fight that I didn't expect to be as dominant as that. I mean, Kumandoi is an incredible, incredible fighter, and just. Uh, his win over Shiro is amazing. Uh, so to see Toki Tomorrow just beat him and make it look kind of effortless was a big statement. But yeah, five victories this year for Toki Tomorrow against really important quality fighters who are all arguably pound for pound ranked, picked up a title that no one expected him to win. Just really, really impressive stuff. <clears throat> now, Beyond Kickboxing picked Shingiz Alozov. Now, Shingiz Alozov had two wins this year. He beat Superbon and then he beat Maroc Gregorian. Mar- the Marat Gregorian fight was really good. It was against a fighter of a very different style, very systematic kickboxer. And it was an exciting fight. It was back and forth. The Superbon fight was, uh, of course, just a big knockout, and it was quite dominant, but it was it was shocking. It was defining. Let's go back to what we were talking about with something like an award being a de- defining what happened in the year when you looked back. And by that, I, I think Toki Tomorrow is still really an important figure Because I think his win streak, he's just going on to better things now. I mean, I think he's like 21 or 22 years old. He's a young guy. Five wins against pound-for-pound fighters. It's almost like he's just really stepping into greatness and just starting his journey. So I think when we look back at 2023, we can point to the year for when he started. Shingiz Alazov may have had the biggest kickboxing fights of the year, but I think what Beyond Kick was thinking, and, and it could be wrong, and again, this is, none of this is confirmed, this is just my speculation, but the reason they picked Shingi's Zalazov is because we can't have kickboxing look like such an elitist sport that we pick someone who's barely famous and only a few weebs really know about. Like Toki like, Tomorrow has like 10,000 followers on social media, Shingiz Alazov has like a million. We can't just be picking the weeb pick, even though he probably deserved it more. And I think also to add one championship as an organization is kind of looking at stopping kickboxing, not through anything they've said, just through some of the bookings. They're not really looking at kickboxing so much going forward. So if we buy the, and the beyond kickboxing is the biggest website when it comes to kickboxing coverage. So I think picking a one championship fighter in kickboxing maybe makes a statement to one championship to really keep kickboxing going because you're a guy, your main draw, we love he won the award for Kickboxer Fighter of the Year. Whereas, like, if you're in an argument with someone in a boardroom, and you bring up Beyond Kickboxing, and their Fighter of the Year is, you know, some guy from Rise, you, you know, you begin the discussion, is kickboxing in one even popular among kickboxing elitists? Whereas if you bring up those awards in a boardroom with one, and Shoshinki's Owls off as the Fighter of the Year, maybe you keep kickboxing going just a little bit longer in one championship. And alternatively, Glory, Rise, and K1, there's no threat for kickboxing existing in those organizations. All three of them will continue forward and continue kickboxing. One, you know, you really don't know if they're going to keep kickboxing going. So I think there was a little bit going on there. But ultimately, I mean, if you just look at quality of wins, just doing an apples to apples comparison and not worrying about bigger pictures or not worrying about defining the year, you could make an argument for Murak Gregorian, the Superbon win. Like, Superman was one of the fighters who you can consider an all-time great, and he did it in such impressive fashion. Murak Gregorian, former champion in different organizations, really quality fighter. And Shingiz Alazov, I mean, Geez, controlled most of that fight and looked very good doing it. So, I mean, in terms of quality of wins, those two are quite good, but just doing an apples to apples comparison. So we're not looking at the bigger picture again or what to find the year. And again, like I mentioned, I said that just looking at wins and what wins really mattered. I would argue that Toki's wins looked a little bit better. I mean, he beat kunsook who was a stadium champion. He beat Kasane which was a good win. He beat Petsilla, which was a state. He's a stadium champion, and that's a really good win. He won by knockout as well, and no one really expected him to even beat Silla. He beat Kazuki Osaki next, a top pound for pound fighter in kickboxing. And again, he wasn't the favorite to win that fight. And then he beat, beat Kumandoi in the finals of that tournament when Kumandoi was just coming off the really impressive win over Shiro. Kumandoi is a stadium champion and all that sort of stuff. So it was a really good fight. And then he had a pretty good win against Kumandoi as well. So I would argue just looking at apples to apples, who had better wins is Toki Tomorrow. So so unlike fight of the year or female fighter of the year or whatever it might be, we can disagree and see the other points. I would still strongly argue for Toki Tomorrow, but Chingiz Zalzov is a fine pick. I'm perfectly OK with that. I think that's what happened behind the scenes with the beyond kickboxing folks is they were maybe looking at bigger picture stuff. I also wonder, Toki Tomaru did win the tournament just at the end of December, and then we picked the awards at the end of December. So I wonder if recency bias really played a role in that pick. And that's absolutely fair. Like, all, everyone is susceptible to these kinds of things. Whereas if you reverse the order and you have Shingy Zalazov knocking out Superbon in December, I wonder if that's still weighing on my mind. And I, I, I really think about that being an important moment even more just because of recency bias. And these are all fair arguments to 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 make. So let me know what you think. Uh, Like, just, am I too much of a weeb that I just picked the the cool Japanese fighter that no one has heard of kind of thing? Uh, But no, I think he really did have those amazing wins. Who was your favorite fighter of the year? Who defined the year for you? Knockout of the year, fight of the year, all that sort of stuff. Let me know down in the comments uh, who was right and who was wrong. And for the awards for Combat Press and Beyond Kickboxing, I'm going to put it down in the description so you can just open them up, read the arguments and, and see what you feel. So some news from last week as well. Former kickboxing champion Tenshin Nasakawa continues his unbeaten streak in the boxing ring. The prodigy Tenshin Nasakawa was able to outpoint Luis Robles in a boxing match en route to a TKO victory by way of an ankle injury in between rounds. Uh, Nasakawa really controlled... Every moment in this fight, tension looked really good. He was using the jab. He had a snapping jab. He had a double jab. He was tripling the jab, and then he would build a jab into body hooks, or he would do a fake jab into lead hooks. But essentially, he was dominating this fight against Luis Robles. Ultimately, Luis Robles it, it, like broke his ankle or twisted his ankle or something, and he wasn't able to continue in between rounds three and four. There was a lot of confusion just because uh, people weren't really communicating or talking. They were trying to figure out what was going on. But he was taking his shoe off, and he wasn't rising from the stool. Uh, But yeah, they call it a TKO victory. They both shook hands at the end. They said, thank you for the good fight. But yeah, tension was way ahead on on the scorecards there. Now he has three wins in professional boxing, unbeaten. And he's got a lot of time in the ring as well. So this was a three-round fight, his only knockout. Otherwise, he's had an eight-round fight and a six-round fight. So in kickboxing, he actually struggled just a little bit with his cardio. So it's good to see him really pacing himself well in boxing and get lots of rounds in. Uh, And these wins, uh, two in 2023 and then one in 2024. I assume he really didn't have any injuries and struggle in this fight at all. Probably going to book him for a pretty quick turnaround. And I I, I think with the three wins, he's beaten three guys who are ranked in the top 50 or something like that for world rankings. I think the WBC has one of the guys like 12 or something like that. But for worldwide rankings, uh, I think Intention is pretty high ranked at this point. I don't know what's next for him, but I mean, he's only 25 years old. He is so young and you have to put into perspective that he has well over 30 professional fights in kickboxing against really good top level fighters. His entire career was at the top of the line. And like on the broadcast, people often talked about he was a notable kickboxer before transitioning to professional boxing. He wasn't a notable kickboxer. He's arguably the greatest of all time undefeated in 44 fights, and he picked up titles in multiple weight divisions in Rise. Even before that, as a amateur, he was picking up national titles in different things like Shin Karate and all, stuff like this. And I mean, even his list of wins are super, super impressive. I mean, he had a close matchup against Rod Tang, ultimately beat him. He beat Shiro. We were, we were just talking about him. He's headlining in the next fight. Mazuiko Suzuki, who is a champion in Rise. Kasane, who's a good fighter. Yuki, Cozy, all these people went on to quite impressive success in other organizations or other divisions, but a lot of these wins really, really aged well. Uh, of course, he had the mega fight against Takeru, which was the biggest kickboxing fight of the past decade. And it was awesome to see Rise versus K1 match, and it was great to see, and then both guys relinquished their titles after that and then went on to other things. Takeru took his name on the road and fought for other kickboxing titles all around the world, and Tension went to boxing and is really making an impressive name for himself. But I I wish Tension all the success in the world. He's just such a a, a prodigious fighter that he can transition between these sports and have incredible success as such a young man. Like, he was young when he was competing in kickboxing, and it really doesn't help that his face is just perpetually like a baby's face, you know? Like, he's, he's 25 years old and he looks like he's like 15 or something. Yeah, really, really impressive stuff. I guess I forget about his MMA wins as well as they were just kind of odd and they were set up for him to get easy wins. But yeah, I mean, he's undefeated in professional MMA as well. Oh, and he also had a bunch of weird fights in boxing as well. And I always forget about those ones. Like he beat Takanori Gomi in boxing, but he actually looked really bad against Takanori Gomi. Uh, I mean, Takanori Gomi hasn't been good since like 2005. And it was a close fight. Uh, Takanori Gomi was a. An MMA fighter, champion in Pride FC, fought in the UFC as well, but he was primarily used as boxing. So it was a, it was a boxing fight, but Takenori Gomi also outweighs him by quite a bit. This is a 135 versus 155, but yeah, tension looked uninspired in this fight. And then he fought three guys in one night, Koki Osaki, Hiroya, and Hideo Tokoro. I mean, Koki Osaki is still fighting. Uh, that's, that's an okay win. Hiroya is, is a, is a kickboxer, not a boxer, and Hideo Tokoro He was a really good fighter back in Dream and a really exciting fighter. Like, some of his fights in Dream were the best MMA fights I've ever seen, but he is primarily a grappler. Someone like Tension outboxing him really doesn't say a ton. Uh, And the weird fight against Floyd Mayweather. And again, Floyd had a huge size advantage on him, but yeah, Tension uh, did did not present well in that fight. Uh, Let's look at some other stuff as we're just trying to stretch time out here. Last weekend, we had UFC 297, and, uh, you know, I have some group chats with MMA people and people who work in the media in MMA or influencers in MMA, and a lot of them are really still arguing about the judging criteria for Sean Strickland versus Dracus E. We're looking at round two, like, that could have gone either way. This should have gone to this guy because of these reasons. Man, it's middleweight. Who fucking cares? Don't take this so seriously. It's middleweight in the UFC. Like, none of this matters. It is, could you think of a dumber division to argue about? Dracus Duplessis and Sean Strickland went to a five-round fight, and it wasn't amazing. It wasn't great or anything like that. If you are introducing someone to MMA and they say, should I watch that fight? You would say, no, watch something else. Raquel Pennington got a win over May Rabuino Silva. Man, what is going on? Like no, So the UFC went on, uh, signed some fighters recently. They announced Judo Kayla Harrison and Michael Venom Page good. They need to stay competitive. They need to add some blood to these divisions because they just headlined an event with Dracus Duplessis and Raquel Pennington. The UFC needs a shot in the arm. Uh, Kayla Harrison, I'm a huge fan of her. She was one of the first people to really take a chance on. Uh, She was really uh, early on. She was a person who took a chance with Calf Kick Sports because we had barely any followers and she accepted an interview. And still, it's one of the bigger interviews that I've had. And it was in my career, like the second interview I've ever done or something like that. But yeah, she took a chance. We had a really good interview and a really good chat and we talk on WhatsApp sometimes. So yeah, I'm wishing her all the best. How she makes 135, thirty-five? I've. she talked about she doesn't like cutting to 145. But when she competed in the Olympics, she was at 170. So Rhonda, when she competed in the Olympics, she competed at like 150, I think. And now they're, and then, so in MMA, uh, Kayla Harrison competed at 155. And Rhonda competed at 135. Those make sense. But now apparently Kayla Harrison's going to be competing at 135. I don't know. She's going to be so drained coming in there. Yeah, that's good to see. That's good to see. I don't know. What else did I have going on? Oh, yeah. K1 I'm still I'm still going to try to find some downloads. I think I found some sources to watch the old ones. Uh, Because in this sport, like, it's very important to know where your blind spots are. And to know enough to not be an expert. To know enough of, like, what... What do you actually know and what do you not know so one thing i've always talked about is like i know my blind spots is, like one of the big ones was um golden age muay thai and it's something I, I can write about a lot but i i know enough about it to know that i know nothing about it if that makes sense so in kickboxing i know where areas I, I know a lot and i know my blind spots as well and one of them is actually k1 max just because it was barely accessible i could watch big k1 almost no problem but k1 max was always a struggle to watch So I think I found some sources to watch this stuff. But even though I know the stories and I know a lot of the fighters and I've seen a lot of the major fights, I've never seen a K1 Max event from start to finish. And I'm embarrassed to admit it, that you're watching a kickboxing show with someone who's not seen a full K1 Max event from start to finish. I admit it. But, But I've seen, again, I've seen the big fights. Calm down. Calm down. I've seen the major fights. I've seen the important stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think that's what we're going to be covering in coming weeks. Any slow news weeks, I'll just put on a K1 Max and we'll talk through and talk about what I really like because it was such a good time for kickboxing. Uh, we also had some other news going on Just seeing catching up for news for the week. But apparently for the for the the glory heavyweight tournament coming up later this year, Antonio Osbot is rumored to be out of it. Apparently, I'm hearing from very reliable sources that it, it is done. It's just Glory hasn't announced it at this point, but it is basically done at this point. The person that they're looking at stepping in might be Jamal ben He is in talks, but not yet confirmed. But I love that Jamal ben might come back and be in an eight-man heavyweight tournament. That's so exciting. I would have liked Antonio Plazabot to be in that tournament even more, but you know, that's just how it is. He had a broken arm from his last fight, and apparently he has re-injured it. It wasn't healing properly. That's ah, just too bad. It's a shame. But if Jamal Ben Sadiq gets in the tournament, that's awesome. That's amazing. It's such a good lineup. I really do like the tournament that they're doing. It's a really fun lineup. Expecting it to be a really good one night event. But if you add Jamal Ben Sadiq to it, just that much better. All right, that'll do it for kickboxing this week. Folks, make sure to tune into One One Six Five live this weekend. It's going to be such a good card, it's going to be such a good event. I just can't wait for it. Uh, make sure to watch it and check it out, folks. But yeah, I will be back same time next week. And thank you so much for your time we